uh, for this opportunity to be here. Um, uh, he is the head of my life and yours, whether you know it or not. Um, and I would like to thank Alex and his session for the um, amazing job they do leading this church and um, sacrificing and pouring their, their entire selves out. So thank you to Alex and the uh, session and their families for um, get, uh, loaning them, letting them uh, serve us. That's, that's a big deal. We thank you. Uh, again, congratulations to the uh, graduates. That's awesome. Uh, I'm reminded of a story. I won't tell too many jokes. Uh, but I'm reminded of a story, though, of uh, this this kid. He he's worked, you know, got all A's through high school, finally worked hard, got A's and B's through college, and he graduated from college. And now he's excited, right? Because why? He gets to go get a job. Couldn't find one, and he applies everywhere. And I mean, trust me, I've done this as well. I've, I mean, I've applied to David Bridles uh, before. Um, <laughs> so when when you want a job, you apply everywhere. And he got this job at the zoo, and he, he's excited, and he goes in his first day of work, and they tell him, one of our monkeys just died, and we need someone to fill in for the monkey. So they had this monkey costume. They put him in this monkey suit. They say, you be the best monkey you can or you're fired. So he's, he's having a good time. You know, at first it was a little weird, but he's being a monkey in the costume, and eventually he decided, man, I can get used to this. And he begins to do some of the things monkeys do, like swing around and all these things. Well, at one point he gets carried away. And he's swinging around. And the rope somehow lets him go. Or he let the rope go. And he falls. And he gets up. And his head is hurting. And he looks. And he realizes he landed in the lion's den. And he's, like, panicking. So he begins to kind of, like, tap on the cage a little bit and say, hey, hey. And the lion looks at him and begins to walk towards him. And he's like, hey, somebody, hey, let me out. And the lion begins to run full speed. Finally, he's just banging on the cage. Somebody help me, please help me. Finally, the lion gets to him. He said, hey, man, shut up before you get both of us fired. <laughs> so, that's definitely a New perspective when you read the story of Daniel and the Lions then now. But, but I hope you guys get the jobs that you want, uh, and I pray that God will bless you. Um, I think that's enough, all right? So as, as, as some of you guys know, uh, I, I'm attempting to do a series, and, and I, I got the privilege to come up here a, a lot quicker than I expected to come, um, but it will also allow me to continue the series a lot quicker. And so uh, last time we talked, uh, we looked at Acts chapter 1, and we looked after Jesus went and ascended into heaven, uh, we addressed the problem with the disciples just standing there looking. Uh, and we, just, we, 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 we try to work through what does it mean now that Christ has ascended, uh, ascended, what are we to be doing other than just standing and looking, and do we have the ability to do anything else but stand and look. And today we're going to look at what, again, what I view as I go through this series, it's not in order uh, chronologically, and, uh, but it's the way that I view it. And today we're going to look at the Agio Pneumatos, the Holy Spirit. Uh, Agio or Agios is a word meaning holy, separated, consecrated, sanctified. 
and then pneumatos is where we get the word breath um, or pneumonia, excuse me. Uh, it's a word that translates as breath, wind, or spirit. And so when you put those two together, we have the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at the Holy Spirit today. And uh, I put the confession of faith concerning the Holy Spirit on that bulletin. And as I was reading, I realized, man, that I, do I really have to preach a sermon on the Holy Spirit? Uh, that was really good. Uh, before we do that, turn, but as we're going, go to Acts chapter 1, uh, verses, we're going to look at verses 1, uh, excuse me, Acts chapter 1, we'll look at verses 4 and 5. <clears throat> a, a good friend of mine uh, and, and my dentist uh, had a, uh, a massive heart attack yesterday, and he was in surgery. He came out last night and is doing well, um, and, and, um, and I saw some people text me, Facebook posts, after the Cox family uh, told me about it. So uh, I'm going to pray for him and, and pray for our time together. Um, Father, we love you. We thank you, and we um, we are grateful for all the great things that Doctor Nwayi has done um, in this community and for you. Uh, we are eternally grateful that you gave him uh, such a um, successful operation. It's good to see him smiling and taking pictures on Facebook. Uh, we ask that you will be with his family now during this time, and that you will um, uh, allow us to serve him and his family in any way they need. Father, now I ask that you will look down upon those that are less fortunate. Look at the widows, the orphans, and the poor. Look at the marginalized. Look at those that are sold into sex uh, trades. And look into those that are addicted to drugs. And those that uh, are doing things that they ought not to just um, to survive. I pray, Father, that you will rescue them and that you will heal them and that you will make them uh, effective witnesses for your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Agios Pneumatos, Holy Spirit, not many days from now. Some people think that the first time we see the Holy Spirit do anything in the Bible is in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit uh, begins to indwell in the people that are praying and waiting to receive the Holy Spirit. And that would just confirm that they have not read the very second verse of the entire Bible. But when we look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, we see that the Spirit was active during the creation of the world. That's not the last time the Old Testament mentions the Holy Spirit. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. But he shall live for his days 120 years. Genesis chapter 41, verse 38. And Pharaoh said to his servants concerning Joseph, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Exodus 35, 31. Moses said, And he has filled him, talking about one of the guys that would lead in worship, he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship. Seven times. Seven times the book of Judges mentions that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, did something. First Samuel, Second Samuel, First Kings, Second Kings, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, need I say more? 
has all mentioned something that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, has done. So we at least see the Holy Spirit in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. But I would like to suggest something to you guys that you may have forgotten. The Holy Spirit is God. It is the very power of God. Therefore, anywhere we see God at work, we see the Holy Spirit at work. So if that's the case, then in the very first verse of the Bible, when it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, it was mentioning and talking about the Holy Spirit as well. The Holy Spirit is active in every action that we see by God because the Holy Spirit is God. The Spirit, this Spirit, demands your worship. This Spirit demands your adoration. This Spirit demands your faithfulness, love, service, gratitude, and praise. So Jesus here in the verses that we're looking at tells them, do not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Now, if Jesus do not leave, then the promise, the comforter, cannot come. He says, wait here because the Spirit is going to come and enable you to continue the work. How? How is the Spirit going to help them continue to work? By giving them power. By this power, they and we will be able to continue the work of Christ. This is what is promised in Jeremiah chapter 31. When he talks about the spirit of the Lord coming to his people, and then he says, I will write my law in their hearts. In Ezekiel chapter 36, he says to them, I will pour my spirit in you. When does this happen? After the ascension. So now we see why the ascension is so important. We've been talking about the ascension. We're going to continue to talk about it when I'm in the pulpit. But it is so important because it is directly connected to the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit came to allow the followers of Christ to continue his work. Now, this happens by us walking in the way of Christ. Well, how do we do it? The Spirit guides us. This happens by us thinking the way Christ thought. How do we do this? The, Christ, the Spirit gives us the mind of Christ. This happened. We continue to work with Christ. How? Well, we do this by doing the will of God. How are we going to do it? The Spirit is going to convict us. As a believer, we cannot overlook the Holy Spirit. The Spirit convicted us of sin that led us to repentance. After we repented, the Spirit revived us, brought us from death to life. After we were regenerated, the Spirit sanctified us and revealed to us the truth of God's word. Now we see that the Spirit gives us power. But here's what's important about all this. The power is given to carry out Christ's mission. The Holy Spirit does what it does to glorify Christ. So, all right, so I, I might be a little weird. I like magic or illusions, whatever you want to call it. I love it. And one thing that a lot of people don't really emphasize or focus on it's what happens at the end of each routine, at the end of each act. The musician may do something subtle or small. He may wave a wand. He may say a few words. He may do something that's, you know, not that significant. But whenever he says to do, do something, 
all of a sudden, he has his assistant, usually a lady, that something happens to. And so the magician is over here, and the magician says or does something that's, okay, he did it, but all of a sudden, I don't know, she disappears, or her clothes change into something else, whatever it is, and all of a sudden, all your attention goes from the magician to the assistant, and your jaw's dropping, and you're, you're amazed, your eyes fell out, you put them back in, and, and you're clapping. And at the end of each act, every time something happens to the assistant, he or she does this. And what you're doing, what, what's happening is the magician does something. It happens over here, and you want to clap and applaud and praise this right here, the, the assistant. But the assistant says, no, don't look at me. Look at the one that got, I, I wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for him. And so the Holy Spirit does something like that. The Holy Spirit points us back to Christ. The Holy Spirit empowers you. It gives you the tools needed, and then it says, now do it for the glory of Christ. The Holy Spirit will give you gifts and talents and things that you never thought you'd be able to do for the kingdom of God, and you're doing it, and you, and you want to, to praise the gifts, or you want to praise yourself, and the Holy Spirit says, wait a minute, it's about Christ. The Spirit empowers believers to do great things, but we must make sure it's in the name of Christ. Paul explains this to us uh, about what this empowering looks like. He says it's different for different believers. He says in 1 Corinthians 12, now there are various varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. He goes on to say this. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophets, to another the discernment of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. And he doesn't do an exhausted list. He doesn't name all the gifts that the Spirit gives. What he does is he put the focus in the right perspective in verse 11 of uh, 1 Corinthians 12. And he says this, all of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. Now, the, the, the thing that we have to watch out for is we want to praise the gifts. That, that's, that's, that's the problem in Romans 1, right? That that we wanted to praise the gifts and not the giver, that we wanted to praise creation and not the creator, that we look at inventions and we say, man, this iPad is awesome or, or this laptop is awesome. Who invented it? I have no idea. It's, it's a common thing in America. And so the Spirit reminds us these gifts are cool and they're awesome and they're all to be used for the glory of Christ. But don't praise the gifts. Don't put someone on a pedestal because all of a sudden he can do this very well. Or we'll allow him to do whatever he wants because he has this gift. No, it's the spirit. And if he's misusing the gift, then he cannot use, he cannot serve God's kingdom until he repents, of course. So whatever the gift is that the spirit gives you, use it. It's not the time to be jealous of somebody else's gift. 
It's not a time to want more gifts than what you already have. You appreciate and you're grateful for the gifts that the Spirit gives you, and you use them. Whether it's one gift or ten gifts, you use it. Let me get back. He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. They have a mission to do. And that mission is heard in Matthew 28, 19 to 20. It says this, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the ages. We have a mission. This mission is heard in Mark chapter 16, verse 15 and 16. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, this mission is heard in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where uh, Campbell helped me remember. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses, that same word for martyr, you'll be my martyr, my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Why can we not go ahead and do the mission? Because you have not received the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit comes, you will receive the things that are needed, power, gifts. And how about fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, the Bible says, and I looked this up, it's in the Greek. This is a singular noun. For those that don't know English, it means it's only one. Fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit. Not fruits with an S, but fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You can't separate them. The only reason they're separated here is because they had to add a comma and some space so you can read the words. That's it. But if you want to do it justice, take down the poster or the, the Bible verse you have on your, on your wall in your house that has these listed. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Take that wall down, find one that has no commas, no space, and all the words are together, and put that one on your wall. Because it's the fruit of the Spirit. It'll be a big, very long, hard to pronounce word, but it's the fruit of the Spirit. These actually are the signs of the Holy Spirit. How about that? It's not the gifts. it's It's these, the fruit of the Spirit, that are the signs of the Spirit, that you have the Holy Spirit. Not speaking in tongues. What, what, what is good of speaking in tongues if you don't love anyone? Huh? These are the gifts and the evidence of the Spirit. It, it's not preaching. I mean, what good is preaching if you're sleeping around with half your members? It, it, it's self-control. That is the evidence of the Spirit. So you're walking around. You're talking about, I got power from God. Look at all these gifts. I'm from Christ. I'm from God. And then you matter at everyone all the time. The evidence of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. It actually makes sense. I mean, they have to wait because they need power. They need gifts, but they also need the fruit. When we're looking at the Holy Spirit, I would like to caution you that there are a couple of ways that believers can negatively 
affect the spirit. I'm not talking about right now blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. That is an unforgivable sin where you attribute the Holy Spirit's work to something or someone else like Satan or or you deny and refute and uh, reject the Holy Spirit for the rest of your life and you die in the state of rejecting the Holy Spirit. That's a sin. Blasphemy that's not forgiven. There are two ways, though, that believers can affect the Holy Spirit that could be detrimental. The first way is quenching the Spirit, quenching the Spirit, and the second is uh, grieving the Spirit. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the Spirit. He says in Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Well, wow, that's nice and all that. What does that mean? You quench the Holy Spirit. I think, I think, Paul, I think Paul does it best in this statement. He, he summarizes his actions in Romans 7.15 by saying this. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. These are, this is actually a good summary of how you can quench and grieve the Holy Spirit. So you quench the Holy Spirit when, when you are told to do something by the Holy Spirit, but don't do it. You quench it. The fire say burn, you don't burn, quench. It's gone. You grieve the Holy Spirit by doing what the Holy Spirit said not to do. You guys getting uh, the difference here? So, all right, so let's say grieving the Holy Spirit. Can you remember uh, those times where you knew you were not supposed to do something? Whether it was lying to someone, taking something that didn't belong to you, you knew I'm not supposed to do this. I am not supposed to do it. But what is that? If you do it and you're not supposed to do it, what is that? Grieving the Holy Spirit. It's like good grief, right? Oh, my gosh. He, he, he's, get, he's saddened because you did what he told you not to do. But then you have these times where you feel like you're supposed to do something. It's a co-worker that needs an encouragement. You can tell the co-worker need a hug or encouragement, nice words. You have a classmate that sits by himself and, and seems to be lonely. And you know something is supposed to be done. And it's something that's in you that's saying, go do it, go do it, go do it. Oh, I'm ready, I'm ready, let's go do it. And you don't do it. That would be quenching the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, do not quench the Spirit. But what you can do is, as he said in Timothy, stir it up. Stir up the gift. Fan that fire that's burning. Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. What you can do is, as the author of Hebrews says, is to lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us so closely. Obey the Spirit. Listen to it. It says no, you say no. It say go, you say go. Hey, I just thought that really. <laughs> Obey the Spirit. Feel its conviction. Sometimes we as pastors and preachers, man, we can get jealous. I mean, we go to restaurants and we see people come in hungry and they leave full. We go to barbershops. We see people come in with bad hairdos. They leave with good hairdos sometimes. <laughs> we go to mechanic shops. We see cars messed up come in. 
Those same cars need fixed. But sometimes we, we get jealous because we can't see those same results. We preach the same sermon over and oh, it's the same message. Genesis Revelation, one big story. And and we feel like I know it doesn't happen overnight, but it feels like sometimes it's been at least three years, five years, ten years. And it seems like people are coming in one way and are leaving the same way. And I feel bad for preachers and myself sometimes when I see that, but then I begin to think about the Holy Spirit. Time after time, the Holy Spirit is telling people not to do something, and they do it. I, I begin to consider the Holy Spirit who time after time empowers people to do great things, and they just go home and sit on their couch, and they quench the Spirit. And I begin to think about the Spirit that in spite of all the great things that have happened in Christian history, through the power of the Spirit, many churches never mention them. The Spirit has done so much, and yet so few of us praise Him. We know in Genesis 1, 2, that He hovered over the face of the waters, but we do not understand that by this, He spread life to all creation. We know that He's the breath of life, but... For some reason, we don't use that same breath to thank him. We know that he fills us with with wisdom and knowledge, but we do not think about him. He is the inspiration that led to God's holy word. He is the breath that leads to new life. He's the reason, the only reason that the prophets, the kings and judges were types of Christ because he empowered them. He is the one that conceived Jesus, the Son of God, in Mary's virgin womb. He was the one that descended on Jesus when he was baptized to empower him for all his work in ministry. He is the one that empowered Jesus to overcome Satan's temptations in the wilderness. He is the one that empowered Jesus to do great miracles. The Spirit. The Spirit gave Jesus the strength to die on the cross. The Spirit. That same spirit uses resurrection power to raise Jesus from the dead. It's going to be that same power that's going to raise us from the dead one day. That spirit dwells in us now, lives in us. See, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit didn't stay long. You would read about the spirit coming upon someone and the spirit coming in someone, but it would leave. But now that Christ has ascended, the spirit dwells in you. And day in and day out, all the time, we're either quenching it or grieving, it seems like. The Holy Spirit lives in us to empower us with the gifts and its fruits so that we can be effective witnesses of Christ. This Spirit will give you the power to spread the gospel. This Spirit will give you the power to face persecution. This same spirit will give you the words to pray when you don't know what to pray. This spirit will give you the power to die to sin and lust and all of the temptations. This spirit gives you hope for tomorrow. I want to remind you that with this hope that the spirit gives us, we must remember 
that the victory has already been won over Satan and sin. You must remember that. The Holy Spirit reminds us this. We may face scared times. We may become anxious. We may become worried. But we already know the ending. I love to watch uh, the replay of one of the greatest college football games of all time, the 2005-2006 Rose Bowl National Championship game. It's uh, the undefeated Texas Longhorns versus the two-time champs and the three-time, uh, three-season undefeated USC Trojans. Now, when I first watched this game, I was scared a lot. A lot. I mean, our very first time getting the ball punted to us, the guy drops it. USC gets it back. I was scared a lot. There was times where USC threw the ball, people caught it, we missed tackles, they got a touchdown, and I would go, oh, my gosh. There was times where we would run the ball and we would fumble and USC would recover, and I would go, oh, my gosh. Then we're in the fourth quarter, the last quarter, and we're down by two scores, and I'm thinking, there's no way. I feel hopeless. I don't think we're going to win this game. All this stuff began to happen. I began to get a little excited. Then I'll go back and go, oh. Then I'll get excited again. And I go, oh. But at the end of the game, we won. They won. I'm a fan. <laughs> they won. When they won, when they won, there was this huge celebration. I mean, the all the fans that were there, all the teams, the teammates, all the families, all the students went crazy. Not just there, worldwide, they watched the game. I screamed a little. We, it was an amazing moment. Every now and then, I, I, I watch the replay of that game. I like, I like watching sports replays. Every now and then, I watch the replay. Guess what? When they fumble, I ain't nervous anymore. When the team scores a touchdown against us, I'm not panicking. When we drop the ball and the other team scoops it up, I'm okay. You want to know why? I already know how it's going to end. I don't cry during the game. I didn't cry the first time either. But <laughs> I already know how it's going to end. My brothers and sisters, the Spirit has given us God's word. It's God's breath. And he says, let me tell you this story. And he, he didn't do this. He didn't do this. Most people do it. Somewhere he should have put spoiler alert, right? <laughs> because he told us how it's already going to end. Rest in that. The book of Revelation shouldn't be scary for you if you're in Christ. Read it. It tells you how it's going to end. When Christ rose from the dead and said, I got all power, that stadium went crazy. All the fans that was watching the game went crazy. All the teammates, everybody went crazy because the game was won. Every now and then, I know it gets, it gets, it gets, it gets scary. We have family and friends that get hurt and that pass away. I know it gets scary. We have women and children that are being taken from their homes and sold into sex slaves. I know it gets scary. I know it. People are stealing. They're stealing money and lives. I understand. 
The government is overlooking the poor and the widows and the orphans. I understand that. But we can rest in the fact that we know how this is going to end. I want to end with a, uh, with a hook from a song by Shaolin called Holy Spirit. Uh, it's from his album, Lyrical Theology. He's a, a trained seminarian. He said, uh, here's the hook. You gave us breath. You gave us life. Open our eyes to see the Christ. Holy Spirit, we worship you. Spirit of God, we worship you. Now you live inside of us. You help us serve the God we trust. Holy Spirit, we worship you. Without you, we can do nothing at all.